Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report. Uh, I'm Janine Moloff, and I'm your host. This week, we're going to be talking about, if you saw the advert, how big banks, no shock, are funding climate devastation. And the very conference that's supposed to help uh, detail the progress we make, namely COPS, basically lets them. So this report isn't just about uh, carbon. It isn't just about global change, global climate change. It's also about the essential nullification of rule of law that we have experienced in this corporate era where we have politicians that are either too cowardly or, frankly, too dishonest to forego these legalized, our legalized system of bribery, which we call campaign contributions. And not just here in the United States, but really all over the world. I mean, this corruption has basically, not just basically, it has made a total mockery of the very idea that we call rule of law. So let's look at this. So this week, we're going to talk about how big banks are actively funding global climate devastation. And we're focusing on banks, specific, especially in the UK. Uh, no shock there. I mean, over 100 years ago, the UK was the chief colonial power. And you could argue that they essentially still are only through their big banks and through other investments they've made. So you know, let's forget the softening of the royal family because, again, they benefit from this too. Forget about Diana. Forget about uh, William. Forget about Harry and Meghan Markle because guess what? It doesn't matter how how um, progressive, especially Meghan and Harry are, because the fact is the royal family has benefited from this as well. So let's just tear away that that smokescreen tear away that blind, and see the situation as it truly is. So the COP conference is about to take place very soon. And the COP conference, uh, back in, the COP25 conference, uh, was really denounced for greenwashing. All right? And greenwashing, corporate greenwashing specifically, as these alleged activists turned a blind eye on what can only be called the global crime of ecocide. And ecocide is a crime that has been, it is not considered an international crime to be looked at by the International Criminal Court yet, but it's been suggested as a fifth international crime that should be considered. Even the Pope has gotten on board with this. So while groups like Extinction Rebellion, God Bless Them, and the NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council, and others risk their bodies and their freedom to halt this, what can only be called murder of the planet. The very conferences set up to create new climate pollution restrictions have proven to be nothing more than an incredibly cruel joke. Now, we talked about last week, we talked about the, the myth of blue hydrogen. All right, this is basically a public relations scheme that was cooked up by the fossil fuel industry, and the Biden administration's gotten right on board with it. But we're going to go a little further now. We're going to look at the finances today and the, the lack of political will, the political cowardice to 
basically have a real environmental conference where the polluters are not allowed to participate, much less sponsor. So there's this major conflict of interest going on as well. So let, let's move on. So, the, you know, the, the UN has declared in a recent report that this time that we're living in right now is, quote, code red for humanity. Okay, that, that's pretty blatant right there. It, it's saying this planet isn't on the teetering point. It is, fall, it is in free fall. So why are the central banks foolishly placing profit before humanity? Well, we can pretty much guess why. You know, this is, these people still believe greed is good. The fact is, greed is not only morally wrong, it's foolish. Let's be honest here. The one percenters who are so greedy, you could argue, are addicts. They're addicted to power. They're addicted to money. So essentially, when we're talking about the 1%, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musk, we're talking about the fact that addicts are running the world. So why are we shocked that everything is, that everything is so insane? We shouldn't be. So we're going to talk about this for a while, and then I'm going to be accepting questions during the last 15 minutes of our broadcast, but not before. So if you call before, I'm just going to ignore it. So right now in the United States, it is 6.05 p.m. Central Time. At 7.15 p.m., I will accept calls between 7.15 and 7.30, but not a second before. The school teacher in me comes out, and no, I'm not going to let people just come and run their mouth and take the time that we've prepared. So enough of that. So let's look at these these big banks, all right? So there was a piece that ran in uh, Common Dreams, and it was written by Andy Rowell, and it was published August 24th, so, you know, two days ago, all right? And the headline is, the Dirty Dozen Central, let me start again, the headline is, the Dirty Dozen Central Banks Are Still Fueling Climate Chaos As the World Burns. And then there's a quote there. Quote, the climate crisis is too dire and too urgent for such critical institutions to be dawdling when they could be leaning, leading the finance sector in a new climate-safe direction, end quote. So we know this is all about money and power. It always has been. The only difference is now these one percenter addicts who are addicted to power and addicted to basically wealth, the, wealth, the power that wealth buys, let's be honest. They're literally sending the planet hurtling over the cliff without a parachute, hell, without even a prayer. And nobody's stopping them because, again, people in between are also making money. And forget about people in the South, in the global South. Do you really think that people in that, that these big bankers care or give a give a damn about children starving in the southern hemisphere? Starving because of global climate I'm not gonna call it climate change, call it what it is. Global climate devastation. So it's triggering intense droughts. There is no food for these babies to eat. Do you really think that these politicians who are just bought and paid for, like, frankly, you know, 
the street, the whore on the street corner. In fact, frankly, the hooker on the street corner has more integrity than the average politician. Let's be honest about it here. But do you really think they give a damn about children that are starving in the southern hemisphere because we're destroying the planet? No, of course not. So this is this report is not only dealing with the money the money makers who are destroying the planet for their own addiction to wealth and power, but we're also talking about environmental racism. You can never separate the two out. Okay, so let's go on. So this is a climate emergency. It's true. A week ago, UNICEF reported, quote, how one billion children are already at extremely high risk from the effects of our rapidly changing climate, such as heat waves, floods, cyclones, disease, and drought, end quote. And, of course, climate activist Greta Thunberg spoke out as reported by The Guardian, and she said that, quote, the world is, quote, still not treating the climate crisis like an emergency. We are still talking and greenwashing things instead of taking real action, end quote. And God bless Greta Thunberg, okay? This this young girl, this teenager, sees so clearly what the alleged adults refuse to acknowledge. So this article goes on to basically say, quote, central banks could play a critical role in catalyzing the rapid shift of financial flows away from oil, fossil, gas, and coal and toward the zero carbon solutions required to confront the climate crisis, end quote. And it goes on to say, so of course, you know, it's it's very easy to see why younger activists are so irate because this whole climate chaos that's being caused is all about the Benjamins and nothing else. And these kids see through it. That's it. It's all about the Benjamins. It's all about big finance. It's all about the fact that the one percenters are addicted to power and the wealth, the power that wealth, that wealth buys and to hell with the rest of us. It's really that simple. So what are we going to do to stop this? Well, why don't we do something that they have actually suggested in this article? Quote, stop funding climate chaos and invest in clean renewable energy. End quote. Really simple. But the powers that be are determined to eke out every little penny, and they're going to pinch those pennies and get every little piece of profit until they scream for mercy. This is more foolish than the King Midas tale of ancient times, but on steroids. So a lot of environmental organizations are really saying, look, stop exploring and producing fossil fuels. That includes blue hydrogen. President Biden, you're wrong on this one. Now, keep in mind that much of the Biden administration is filled to the brim with Clinton and Obama retreads. And you know what? We don't need retreads from the Obama administration. We need real, real progressives. Biden, President Biden needs to clean house, get rid of these damn neoliberals, and put in some activists, some real, some real progressive activists. Let's talk about the IEA, which is the International Energy Agency that all politicians, including American presidents, love to hold up as this big energy watchdog. I'm going to call this segment of the talk the plan negligence enacted by the IEA. 
because they have neglected this issue. The IEA, International Energy Agency, has acknowledged that if we're going to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, and, and that's absolutely critical to avoid the worst of the climate crisis, we're not going to avoid all the bad parts. We're past that already. Then, quote, we must cease all new investment in the expansion of oil, gas, and coal, and coal supply beyond that already committed now, end quote. I'll add to it. We need to reduce fossil fuel starting now, and we need to make it financially prudent, if you will, for renewables. And I don't mean blue hydrogen. That's not a renewable. I'm talking solar, wind, okay? and what's called green hydrogen. There is a difference. So the world's leading scientists of the IPCC, they have issued that code red for humanity, and they said we had to stop investing in fossil fuels. But in spite of these warnings, and, you know, we, you don't have to look, you don't have to wait. Every day there's a new flood, that record flood in the news, wildfires in California that never stop. Um, it's still not happening, and it won't, considering the key players in the climate crisis are central banks. The central banks could change things, but they're not going to. So there was a report by a publication called Oil Change International, and no, this isn't about getting an oil change in your car. This is a real group, and they this report by Oil Change International also involved other organizations, and the title of the report is, quote, unused tools, how central banks are fueling the climate crisis, end quote. And the report basically names, that basically reveals that 12 of the largest central banks worldwide are continuing to support what they call climate chaos-causing fossil fuels through policy and direct finance. Now, this report used a 10-point system in order to gauge how central banks were responding to the needs of the climate crisis. And this analysis found that not a single one of these 12 major central banks that were analyzed came even close to aligning with the Paris Agreement on any of the criterion. Not one bank. Now, the criterion used by the study, they did three aspects of a central bank's functions. That included asset management, number one. Two, rules and support for commercial banks. Uh, and three, policy and research. And that included both monetary policy and prudential regulation. Now, the report found that between 2016 and 2020, central banks utterly failed to prevent basically financial, financial flows to fossil fuels. In fact, the money kept flowing on the order of some $3.8 trillion, with a T, in U.S. dollars. Now, when they say financial flow, you know, being a woman, no, it is not your monthly, okay? It, it, is, it is not your monthly complaint. I can imagine the men just going, oh, God. Financial flows, although in some ways worse, it means the Benjamins. Money keeps going to the fossil fuel industry. The report does provide recommendations, all right? One of the things they recommend is that they recommend is to amend the mandates of central banks where necessary 
to give them the power to support the managed decline of fossil fuel production by facilitating an end to fossil fuel finance in line with the Paris Agreement, and that's a quote. Okay, translation, apparently the central banks feel powerless. They don't like it when environmentalists pick on them, and so we need to give them the power to, and I'm not making fun of the report, mind you, but they're saying we need to, I guess, uh, enable what's called the managed decline of fossil fuel production by slowly ending fossil fuel finance, which would be, you know, in alignment with the Paris Agreement. Okay, and they say the time is now. Now, David Tong, who's the global industry campaign manager at Oil Change International and an author of the report, was quoted saying the following, quote, central bank, excuse me, quote, Central banks have access to powerful tools to confront the climate crisis, but they aren't using them. Instead of using their power to cut off finance for fossil fuels, they are making themselves busy tinkering around the edges of the climate crisis. He went on to say, the climate crisis is too dire and too urgent for such critical institutions to be dawdling <coughs> excuse me, when they could be leading the finance sector in a new climate safe direction, end quote. Another quote in this article is from the senior economist at UK-based group Positive Money, Denisha Kazi. Kazi added, quote, there is a growing consensus among civil society that the world's major central banks are failing to play their part in tackling the climate crisis. By propelling finance towards environmental destruction, they are placing both financial and planetary stability at risk. Kazi added, while central banks continue to shy away from their duty to the public, the most vulnerable, particularly communities in the global south, will continue to bear the ever-intensifying brunt of their inaction, end quote. If that isn't a statement about environmental racism, I don't know what is. Because it is. It's basically another way of saying this is environmental racism that is being actively sponsored by the central banks as they continue to fund fossil fuel exploration and production and allowing these fossil fuel companies to not only rape the global south of their resources, but also abuse and enslave their people. Now, the executive director. Another quote here, the UNICEF Executive Director, Henrietta Foray, also made a comment. Um, Henrietta said last week, quote, climate change is deeply, excuse me, let me start again. Quote, climate change is deeply inequitable. While no child is responsible for rising global temperatures, they will pay the highest cost. The children from countries least responsible will suffer most of all. I'm going to say that last line again because it, it should shame decent people. Of course, the 1% are decent people, in my opinion. But, quote, the children from countries least responsible will suffer most of all, end quote. And Henrietta Fauré of UNICEF is totally right. And she, you know, basically we need to demand central bankers stop failing this next generation. And I would add that it's also time for central bankers to cease and desist this blatant environmental racism as well.
Powell is the person that wrote that article. He's a staff blogger for Oil Change International. All right. And I have the Oil Change International report in front of me as well. Um, by This is the press release by uh, David Turnbull. Again, central banks still fueling climate crisis, new report. Um, and just to give you a little more background here, the report, um, so we're talking about this new report that was released as documented by priceofoil.org, about the unused tools of central banks. And this, ahead of an, an annual convening of central bankers that's being held apparently in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, and this was, let's see, yeah, later in the week, quote, the analysis strikes a critical contrast to promises in recent months by the same central banks to align their operations with climate goals, end quote. So basically, they're calling out these central banks not only for lying to all of us, but for their utter hypocrisy, as well as basically bankrolling the rape and destruction of this planet. So the report itself used a 10-point rubric so that they could gauge how central banks were responding to the climate crisis. Um, and the analysis reviewed policies and financing of central banks from the following nations, Canada, China, the European Union, France, Germany, India, Italy, Japan, Russia, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and yes, the United States. Okay, and we talked about the three central bank functions, asset management, rules of support for commercial banks, policy and research. <clears throat> and we've got the same uh, David, Tong, David Tong quote. Um, let me stop here for a second. Yes, it's the same quote. Got a lot of information in front of me, folks, so kind of bear with me. So this is all the same information. A few other little things here. Um, here's a quote here from David Tong of Oil Change International, an additional quote that wasn't in the first article. To quote David Tong, quote, central banks' roles have evolved over time. They reinterpreted their roles to confront the 2008 and 09 financial crisis and again in response to the COVID-19 crisis. Now they must do the same to confront the climate crisis, not just as a threat to financial stability, but as a threat to humanity. He went on to say, quote, if these central banks won't act, the governments they report to must step in. They need to make it clear that central banks can be leaders in ending dangerous fossil fuel finance rather than laggards propping up an industry driving our climate chaos, end quote. Okay. And then the report provides some recommendations. They say the government should amend the mandate of central banks. Uh, again, this is to allow them to have this managed decline of fossil fuel production by also having a managed decline, I guess, of fossil fuel finance. Uh, in other words, they want a golden parachute to kind of soften the blow. I'm not criticizing Oil Change International, by the way, but I think that it's too soft for the central banks. I think the central banks, in my opinion, should be told by governments you're either going to fix this 
or you're going to be criminally prosecuted. That's it. But this report goes on to say central banks should adapt their asset management practices and exclude from their investment portfolios all fossil fuel production and fossil fuel intensive consumption sectors. Um, They should also adapt the regulatory practices with the idea that they're going to eliminate commercial banks' exposures to all fossil fuel production and fossil fuel intensive consumption sectors. Both goals also in alignment with the Paris Agreement of 2015. And that the third thing is they should undertake research of climate-related risk and require commercial banks to undertake research of climate-related risk and conduct the appropriate stress tests, end quote. You know, people need to understand something, too. You know, notice they talk about commercial banks. Now, a lot of people think, well, that's just a bank, right? No, it's not. When you're talking about commercial banks as opposed to just the average bank that you or I would go to, they are two different things. A commercial bank not only specifies in big commercial investments, but commercial banks are usually linked to, guess who? Guess what? Private equity firms. They're gamblers, okay? That's what commercial banks are. They're gamblers. And they are bold about their gambles because they bought enough politicians around the world, especially here in the U.S., that they figure the taxpayer will pick up the flack. They'll saddle us with their, their losses. So this report was published by Oil Change International, but it was in partnership with the following organizations as well. 350.org, Alliance Climatique Swiss, BankTrack, Campex, Heal, Democracy Collaborative, E3G, Earthworks, Environmental Defense, Fossil Free Swise, Friends of the Earth United States, Indigenous Environmental Network, Ladato Sea Movement, Public Citizen, Positive Money, Rainforest Action Network, Reclaim Finance, Recourse, Shift, Stand.Earth, The Sunrise Project, Ergawald, and We Can. Okay, and you can find the report itself at priceofoil.org. The title of the um, study is Unused Tools of Central Banks. Okay, so let's look at a little. We talked about a quote by Denisha Kazi, who's a senior economist at the UK organization Positive Money. Um, trying to see if there's anything new that she said here. I don't think, I think we covered it. Okay. We do have somebody else. Um, Paul Schreiber of Reclaim Finance was also quoted, quote, despite recognizing that climate change is fully relevant to their mandate and being bound by the Paris Agreement, central banks continue to help fossil fuel companies to benefit from cheap and ample funding. While the ECB and Bank of England are contemplating how to align part of their activities with the Paris Agreement, this report underlines that they will fail unless they adopt strong fossil fuel policies, starting with a clear cut of their support to companies that develop new fossil fuel projects. Failure to do so would come down to greenwashing, end quote. Amen. Thank you, Paul Schreiber. Tracy Lewis of 350.org focused on the U.S. Federal Reserve, which, again, 
is a bunch of bankers. There's nothing federal about it. The Federal Reserve in the U.S. are a bunch of private bankers. So here's what Tracy Lewis of 350.org said about that. Quote, this report is yet another reminder that central banks are the referees of our economy. When banks do bad, like financing fossil fuel companies hell-bent on planetary destruction, the ref is supposed to blow the whistle. Ahead of COP26 in November, the Federal Reserve must use their legal authority to manage climate risk and steer us off fossil fuels fast, end quote. Can you hear us now, Janet Yellen? And I really don't care to hear about how Janet Yellen was an immigrant and came from an impoverished beginning. I don't care. Because what she's doing now by failing to manage this is criminal. All right. In Germany, Regine Richter, <coughs> excuse me, Regine Richter, who is a finance expert at Ergewald, also was quoted. Quote, the Deutsche Bundesbank and especially the Federal Financial Supervisory Authority play an important role in setting rules for private banks and their financing. They must use this to stop financial flows into fossil fuel companies and do it quickly. Bundesbank President Weidmann's constant emphasis on market neutrality is yesterday's news and irresponsible in the face of the climate crisis, end quote. Amen regime. And they're telling the truth. You know, why are children dying from starvation in the Southern Hemisphere, children of color predominantly? Because there's been severe droughts. They can't grow any crops. And why is that? Because of global climate devastation. I'm not going to call it climate change. But we need to stop these, these soft labels and call out what it is. This is global destruction, period. No guesswork here. The science is 100% spot on. So here's another article um, by Matt McGrath in the BBC. We're just broadcasting. IPCC report is, quote, code red for humanity. He's their environmental correspondent. And first line, quote, human activity is changing the climate in unprecedented and sometimes irreversible ways, a major UN scientific report has said, end quote. Code red for humanity, according to the UN chief. Now, there are scientists that are saying from the IPCC that, a, that the worst catastrophe could be avoided, but only if we act fast, worldwide. And there is hope if we have deep cuts in emissions of greenhouse gases that could stabilize these rising temperature, the U, temperatures. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, was quoted, quote, if we combine forces now, we can avert climate catastrophe. But as today's report makes clear, there is no time for delay and no room for excuses. I count on government leaders and all stakeholders to ensure COP26 is a success. Now, the IPCC is the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And the assessment was delivered by the IPCC. Now, COP26 and COP25, those are conferences held you know, worldwide with basically world leaders discussing how we're going to deal with this global devastation. You think, okay, well, that's good, right? Now, let, let's move on. This is a very serious assessment. That assessment by the IPCC is the first major review of the science of climate change since 2013. And 
<laughs> the release of the report comes less than three months before this key climate summit, uh, the new COP conference, COP26, which will be held in Glasgow, Scotland. Okay. We know this is human influence. We also know that there are billionaires, like, for instance, through Coke Industries, that are funding climate change denial. This is their funding COVID denial. And their addiction to power and money is not only morally wrong, it's incredibly stupid. So let's talk about some of the authors, some of the scientists in this IPCC report. Professor Ed Hawkins from the University of Reading in the UK. <coughs> Excuse me. He's one of the report's authors. And he basically, they said, the scientists cannot be any clearer on this point. Quote, it is a statement of fact. We cannot be any more certain. It is unequivocal and indisputable that humans are warming the planet, end quote. And when you talk about warming the planet, we're talking about destroying the planet, destroying, destroying the ecosystems that will just spiral out of control. Kateri Talas, who's the Secretary General of the World Meteorological Organization, also was quoted, quote, by using sports terms, one could say the atmosphere has been exposed to doping, which means we have begun observing extremes more often than before. Okay. And they talk about whether it's um, heat waves like in Greece or the western part of North America or floods, horrible floods in Germany and China, quote, their attribution to human influence has strengthened, end quote, over the last 10 years. Now, the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, their report, here are the key points. Number one, and I'm just going to read this straight from the article, global surface temperature was 1.09 degrees centigrade higher in the decade between 2011 to 2020 than between 1850, 1850 and 1900. <coughs> Two, the past five years have been the hottest on record since 1850. Three, the recent rate of sea level rise has nearly tripled compared with 1901 to 1971. Four, human influence is very likely 90%, the main driver of the global retreat of glaciers since the 1990s and the decrease in Arctic sea ice. And five, um, it is virtually certain that hot extremes, including heat waves, have become more frequent and more intense since the 1950s, while cold events have become less frequent and less severe. The new report makes it clear that the warming we're experiencing up till now has made changes to quite a, the, most of our planetary support systems. And these are changes that they say are irreversible. And irreversible, in other, in other words, to reverse it, you're looking at a time scale of anywhere from multiple centuries to multiple millennia, and a millennia is a thousand years. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh, hate asthma. The report also says the oceans will continue to warm, and they will become more acidic. <coughs> that's a bad thing, all right? That's going to kill more sea life. <coughs> Folks, I'm sorry about the coughing. And one of the things that I find incredibly scary is that mountain and polar glaciers will continue melting 
or decades or centuries. When the global ice cap melts, it's going to release more methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas, into our atmosphere, which is going to make the planet more uninhabitable. What is it going to take to get people to understand that? <clears throat> Professor Hawkins, who's one of the study's authors, said, quote, for many of these consequences, there's no going back. It's not an issue whether or not we're going to stop it. This is really an issue of how much will we be able to save for future generations. Folks, it's not about just us. It's about our kids and our grandkids and generations afterwards, whether they have a planet that is habitable or whether it's a planet that's hell on earth. <clears throat> okay. So if we don't change this, the outcome would threaten millions of people, especially in coastal areas with flooding by 2100 that year. Um, the safety of humanity is at stake here. Keep in mind, practically every nation on earth signed up to the Paris Agreement in 2015, but they're not keeping their word. And this new report says that under all the emission scenarios considered by the scientists, the two targets, which were, according to the Paris Agreement, we were supposed to keep the rise in global temperatures well below 2 degrees centigrade this century and then push efforts to keep it under 1.5 degrees centigrade. Both targets will be broken this century unless huge cuts in carbon take place. Again, why aren't we doing this? There's technologies. We can change our ways. Do we really need individual cars? Could we have great mass transit? Could we stop urban sprawl? Yes, we could do those things. Why aren't we? All about the Benjamins, baby. Massive greed and the people that enable it. So it's not just the 1%. It's those people that are moderately wealthy that are going along with it because they're doing just fine, so they think. So let's move on. <coughs> Dr. Friedrich Otto of the University of Oxford in the UK was another IPCC report author. He was quoted as saying the following, quote, we will see even more intense and more frequent heat waves, and we will also see an increase in heavy rainfall events on a global scale, and also increases in some of the types of droughts in some regions of the world. Professor Caroline Vera, who's the vice chair of the working group that produced this document, said the following, quote, the report clearly shows that we are already living the consequences of climate change everywhere, but we will experience further and concurrent changes that increase with every additional beat of warming. So there are some that say, well, what, is, what can we do about this? Well, the scientists have been very clear. We have to cut global emissions in half by 2030. This is already 2021. We have just nine years to cut global emissions in half. Nine years, folks. And I don't know if that's enough even. All right? Every time more of the polar ice caps melt, then we release more methane, and that changes the formula too. Again, too many people are scientifically illiterate, which is why these greedy bastards, excuse my language, can get away with it. You know, that's the other thing, too. I find it really amusing that 
when you're broadcasting, you can't say certain words. But mind you, when they're broadcasting music where every other word is an obscenity, nothing said then. What's that about? I mean, that's just, I find it amusing. All right. We have to we have to cut fossil fuel emissions, and we've got to use clean technology. That's it. That's wind, solar, green hydrogen, not blue hydrogen, President Biden. Five future impacts if we don't change our ways immediately, like yesterday. Temperatures, one, temperatures will reach 1.5 degrees centigrade by 2040 under all emission scenarios. Two, the Arctic, and I'm reading straight from this, is likely to be practically ice-free in September at least once before 2050 in all scenarios assessed. There will be an, in three, there will be an increasing occurrence of some, in, some, some extreme events unprecedented in the historical record, even at warming of 1.5 degrees centigrade. Okay, talk about hellish scenarios, massive floods, massive earthquakes, massive wildfires that we're already suffering under. What is it going to take? Number four, extreme sea level events that occurred once a century in the recent past are projected to occur at least annually, that means once a year, and more than half of tidal gauge locations by 2100. And five, there will, likely, there will be likely increases in fire weather in many regions. We're seeing it now. The wildfires haven't stopped. They've been going, in California, they've been going on all year. I have classmates from high school that are traveling, you know, at places like Oregon and Colorado, and they can breathe the smoke from the fires several states away. I'm in St. Louis, and they reported that some of the smoke from California has reached us here. Probably has caused my coughing. All right, so let's talk about the COP conference. This is an article by Scott Tully, and he's he's really um, the climate opinion. This is from the independent.co.uk. And I like the way Tully puts it. I'm just going to read this first quote here. Quote, would you trust a big tobacco company at a World Health Conference? The question is almost ridiculous. Of course not. Big tobacco, big, excuse me, big tobacco's nakedly vested interests obviously conflict with global health requirements. And so sensibly attempts have been made to exclude big tobacco from World Health Organization talks. Yet, despite all the evidence of the fossil fuel industry's role in the climate crisis, the same principle is not applied to global climate negotiations, end quote. It's exactly right. Just this. Why are we letting polluters and, in and groups that invest in these 30 these dirty fuels, why are we allowing them to participate in these global climate negotiations? They can claim, well, we have a big investment. We have, you know, we want to make this fair. No. See, the thing is this. Research already, we've talked about this on the show, where research popped up and leaked out where the big fossil fuel producers knew for decades, like at least 50 years, that they were the leading cause of global warming, of global climate devastation. They knew this was by research that they funded themselves and then suppressed and it leaked out. That shows criminal intent right there. Okay? 
So no, they don't need to be included in the talks. In fact, the fossil fuel industry should just be told, obey the law, not dictated. So the COP26 conference, according to uh, Scott Tully, will, according to him, will, quote, most likely remain a playground for polluters, end quote. That's a great phrase, by the way. And it is a playground for polluters. That's what COP25 was. They were allowed to stock the halls. We're talking about the polluters themselves. Uh, the playground for polluters was as documented by gcop.scott. Uh, COP25, the article was COP25 was a playground for polluters. COP26 must be different. Apparently in COP25, the polluters, <coughs> their lobbyists, the big bankers, were able to stalk the halls. They could lobby politicians. Um, they had a lot of public relations cash to buy whatever. And to quote Tully, quote, it is against the state of corporate privilege at COP26, we at Glasgow call out polluters. Alongside over 170 groups from across the world have written an open letter to COP President Alak Sharma laying out five steps the UK government can take as co-hosts of COP26 to remove and reduce the presence of big polluters at the talk, end quote. I couldn't have said it better myself. So he goes on to talk about first COP25, the mockery of the entire process. Um, that was held in Madrid. Okay, it was considered one of the worst environmental summits ever, as documented by The Guardian. Okay. Um, basically, free market ideology controlled the conference. And of course, because of free market ideology, they opposed any government regulation, especially on multinational corporations. Naomi Klein, I'm sorry, Naomi Klein, excuse me, um, in a publication, This Changes Everything, was quoted as saying, um, quote, the moment that the climate demand of regulation of big polluters, our politicians have actively pandered to the interest and power of these companies, end quote. Of course they have. All right, this is the endemic corruption in all of our governments. You know, people love to bandy about the word fascist without understanding what fascism is, because they point to the obvious thing, the Nazi regime. But fascism is basically government by corporate fiat. Government's control. We're already in the middle of fascist regime. There isn't, most likely, I don't think there's a government in the world that doesn't have some level of fascism where corporate interest and the interests of 1% are basically consider the top priority, all right? Um, in fact, they go on to say that the power dynamic that was so corporate-friendly at COP25 was so bad that most of the time was spent on Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. So what's Article 6 of the Paris Agreement? Well, it focuses on carbon markets. Now, to quote Tully, quote, carbon markets suit corporate polluters as they allow emissions to continue unabated. While companies look toward emission offsets by planting trees or through other complex market mechanisms, end quote. How do I explain offsets, especially with carbon? When you think carbon and you're talking about carbon markets, think basically the stuff that is destroying the planet, all right? 
in simple terms. And an offset, the most simple explanation I can give you is I had a great auntie years ago. My mother told me that, you know, she was extremely diabetic, but she was not going to follow a diabetic diet. She figured all she had to do was take her insulin shot, and then she could continue to eat all the uh, carbs and all the sugar she wanted. She lost a leg, and then she died. That's what we're talking about, offsets. You can't offset all these carbon, all these carbon emissions and then the methane emissions as well by planting enough trees. Scientists have already said, planting trees are great, don't get me wrong, but we can never plant enough trees to offset the carbon and methane emissions at the, what we've accumulated thus far. It's not possible. We have to cut our consumption drastically, and we have to use renewables, period. So why are these big interests fighting this? Because they want to get every penny of profit first before they go to the other. They're that foolish. And so that's what these activists are demanding. All right? Also, here's an interesting uh, detail that, that Tully came up with. Tully or Sully, I'm sorry. Scott Tully, okay. This writer, he also explained that um, when we're talking about Article 6 of the Paris Agreement with carbon markets and offsets, as documented by the Intercept, oil and gas uh, major Shell actually claimed to have helped write Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. Why in the hell was a polluter writing any part of the Paris Agreement? That's basically like saying that somebody who's on trial for premeditated murder is also going to act as the prosecutor and judge as well as the defendant. It's that stupid. So this article, Tully's asking, what can we do as host of the COP26 conference to prevent the COP26 conference from turning into the greenwashed garbage event the COP25 was? Well, he suggested, one, the U.K. government, um, they, they want to look like they're climate leaders, but they're not, okay? Instead, um, there's a big polluting elephant, as he said, in the room, all right? He goes on to say that the treaty between nation states that guides this COP process, the process is really complex, and it requires cross-nation collaboration and consensus. So it's really hard for a nation like the UK, even as host, to unilaterally exclude big polluters from the talks, even as host. But there are steps the UK government can take that they um, outlined in an open letter that they sent. Okay. Honestly, I'm at a point where I really don't care if the uh, process is complex. All right. There's such a thing, and there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, and if they allowed this process to be guided and conned by attorneys who wrote in stuff that they knew was illegitimate, the intent was illegitimate, you just need to nullify that part of it. I don't care. But Tully's saying, one, make a polluter-free cop conference, and I added, no thieves running the bank. Okay? They could, as host, the UK government could facilitate meetings on this conflict of interest policy, which should remove the big polluters from the conference. 
and then give priority to countries who have been complaining about this for years, most likely a lot of them from the global south, but and also at the same time avoid filibustering from the global north. Okay, don't let the rich just control everything. Um, and Tully goes on to say that since the UK government is the host of this conference, they have the largest allocation of tickets to pass to dignitaries, and they could choose not to give the tickets to big polluting companies. All right. Um, now, to go on further, Tully's also said that the UK government failed to meet a key demand because they accepted sponsorship of the conference from big polluters. And he named a couple. One was SSE, who as a gas plant is Scotland's biggest individual emitter, according to the ferret.scot. And apparently SSE is, I think, it looks like an affiliate of Exxon. And NatWest, another fossil fuel financing bank. Okay, so apparently SS, the UK government accepted sponsorship from two of these big polluters, SSE and NatWest. So one is Scotland's biggest individual emitter, which again, as I look, looks like it's in a uh, part of Exxon, and then NatWest is a fossil fuel financing bank. Okay, and none of them should be financing it. All right. And then there were some other embarrassing revelations. The UK government apparently held secret meetings with BP, Shell, and Equinor concerning their visibility at COP26. COP and this is as documented by cultureunstained.org. And the title was, let's see now, Big Oil Pushed to Sponsor COP. Okay. So, and there's a statement here that Tully wrote that I love. He said, quote, the COP process has been disrupted by the unwholesome marriage of corporate-friendly politics and meek politicians, end quote. I love what Tully wrote. <clears throat> Tully is a climate justice organizer at Glasgow, calls out polluters. Uh, they're working on the, car, the corporate cap. They're, they're fighting the court, what they call the corporate capture of COP26, and they're fighting fossil fuel finance as well. Okay, so let's move on. Um, we've got about 20 minutes still. Okay, because I said I would allow people to call in the last 15 minutes. So there's another article from July 2020 about COP25. Um, and again, this United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC, Conference of the Parties, that's what COP stands for, okay? So big polluters basically control the UN climate talks. Bottom line, you know, they, there was an outrageous polluter presence. Um, COP25 was sponsored by the following large polluters. So we're talking about COP25, not the one that's coming up. Here are the, follow, here are the large polluters that sponsored COP25. Iberdrola, now that's an electric utilities company. They produced 24.6 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions in 2018. They're also linked to numerous human rights offenses. I'm reading straight from this. Endesa is another electrical utilities company. They produced 61.9 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Suez, a water and waste management company partially owned by Engie. And NG is considered one of the biggest polluters in the world through their coal operations, reading straight from the document. 
Santander is a fossil fuel funding bank. They have approximately 2.714 billion pounds in green financing, but they invest three times that in fossil fuels in the same year. They're also, they also bear significant responsibility for funding the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. And BBVA is another fossil fuel company bank responsible funding for BB. Let me start again. BBVA, another fossil fuel funding bank. They funded um, the Dakota Access Fossil Gas Pipeline, which, you know, again, is disrupting the lives of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. They also funded many other gas pipeline investments, as well as arms funding, and there's allegations of corruption. Okay. Polluter presence at COP25 went beyond just those that bought uh, their way in with sponsorship. There were representatives from major oil and gas companies that spoke on actual panels and even co-hosted events in the conference. The highlights included Shell. Representatives from Shell spoke at six events, including a panel that was organized by the International Emissions Trading Association, which is a pro-carbon market lobby group. Members of IETA include BP and Chevron, including some others. BP, Shell, and ConocoPhillips joined the Australian government in hosting uh, together in an invite-only reception for, get this, polluting companies and governments. Registered participants to the conference, including executives from Shell, BP, Total, Eni, Enel, BHP, Billiton, Engie, Rio Tinto, and Equinor, were accompanied by their lobby groups. And the IETA was bragging. They had a delegation of 129 people, which was more people than the combined delegations of South Africa, Nigeria, or China. Okay, so the profiteers ran the show. And this is saying that COP26 has to be different. Um, you know, again, this is in the UK, ex Environmental Minister Andrea Leadsom told BP that they were key stakeholders in these upcoming COP27, COP26 talks. Uh, again, that's too cozy an arrangement. According to this, the UK really has a horrible track record. Uh, even though the UK has historically contributed the most to climate change, they tried. The UK government tried to rebrand themselves as global leaders in climate change, but that's not true. Um, they fund fossil fuels abroad, and they hide under the cover of international aid. They blocked progress in the UN climate talks, and then they basically um, monkeyed with the data numbers so that their achievements looked much better than they actually were. The bottom line is this. This is just the UK doing colonialism 2.0. Nothing more. Instead of with gunboats, this time it's with big banks. Now, there's an article by Julia Conley from Common Dreams, and this deals with the immorality of these big banks, how climate devastation is fueling starvation so the rich can become richer. Right now, um, there is a famine. It's considered to be the world's first climate-fueled famine in Madagascar, and it's unprecedented. Keep in mind, according to one UN official, quote, these people in Madagascar, that is, 
These people have done nothing to contribute to climate change. They don't burn fossil fuels, and yet they are bearing the brunt of climate change, end quote. And this very quickly is what we're talking about in terms of the environmental racism component. The wealthier nations basically spend all the carbon budget, pollute the world, destroy the world, and it is the poorest nations who aren't even burning fossil fuels that are, that are suffering the most for our crimes. The Environmental Justice Foundation was quoted as saying, quote, everyone should have a safe place to live. Wealthy, company, wealthy countries must step up and cut emissions now. Okay. There hasn't been any rain in Madagascar, in southern Madagascar, that is, for the last four years. And the food shortage is extreme. People are catching locusts and eating them. There's a picture of a child holding out her hand, and she's got a couple of dead locusts in her hand which I presume she's going to eat. Okay. Shelly Thackrell, who is the Senior Communications Specialist for the World Food Program, uh, told the BBC, quote, these are famine-like conditions and they're being driven by climate, not conflict. This is unprecedented. And that's where that first quote came from. These people don't burn fossil fuels, and yet they're bearing the brunt of climate change, end quote. Um, they quoted a mother of four named Tamaria in the village of Sandovia, Sandiova, told the BBC, quote, I clean the insects as best I can, but there's almost no water. So families are foraging They're for cactus leaves and insects, including locusts, just to keep from starving. And they're trying to grow crops. Okay. Madagascar was identified in the IPCC report as a country that was one of the most severely hit. Um, you know, again, this is, this is evil. It just is. Dr. Rondo, Rondro Baramalala is a scientist from Madagascar at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Um, and he's talking about the crisis in his home country. And to quote him, he said, quote, with the latest IPCC report, we saw the Madagascar has observed an increase in aridity and that is expected to increase if climate change continues. In many ways, this can be seen as a very powerful argument for people to change their ways, end quote. Okay. We can go on, but this is the disgrace of the wealthy West. And the fact that not only will the UK government and other governments here in the US and around the world, the EU, won't face their crimes, but they are politically in bed, big money, with the banks funding big fossil fuel and with big fossil fuel. That's it. They're whoring themselves to get a little piece of that pie. And the fact that their grandchildren will inherit a world that is uninhabitable really doesn't figure into the equation for them at all. So, you know, in conclusion, according to the UN and multiple other scientific organizations, this is code red for humanity. So, and again, <laughs> it begs the question, why are central banks placing profit over humanity? And that was the question at the beginning of the report. And it is foolish. I mean, do these one percenters believe that Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos has room for them and their little toy rocket ships? Maybe, but I just believe they don't care about anyone else. 
and that includes their own kids and everyone else's. And frankly, I don't care. It doesn't matter what they believe. What matters is this clear abdication of international legal systems to hold these greedy reprobates accountable. This is a disgraceful failure of the very concept we quaintly label as rule of law. Again, prime example of the corruption can be seen at the COP conference, which is considered the premier environmental governmental confab, as Scott Tully explained. But it really is, quote, an unwholesome marriage of corporate-friendly politics and meek politicians, end quote. And then, you know, we can go on forever, but this is what it's about. This is the situation. We, we have the extreme 1%. Okay, we, and we have a corporate-owned press, a corporate-owned media that not only won't run these stories, but they push this false equivalence idea, you know, that there, there are two sides that are equally, um, equally truthful. That's not the case, all right? Again, as I reiterate, documents leaked out, internal documents, that proved that these big fossil fuel companies knew for decades, multiple decades, probably about 50, 60 years easily, that their product was destroying the world. And these were state-funded themselves and that they suppressed. Now, where was our government? Where were any of these governments? Again, I, I guess I'm really naive because I do not understand the type of moral cowardice it takes to give in to these bastards. Excuse my language. The fact is, you know, I can't speak for but I, I would never want to be president, okay? Seriously, you talk about a thankless job. That, that job have you seen how it ages people? I, I'm too vain for that. But just as an example, a lot of people will say, well, if I were president, I, you know what? If I were president, the first thing I would do is conduct a very thorough investigation, but quickly and see where there are work for the corruption is. And not only would every person be fired that was involved, but they would face criminal investigation and criminal prosecution with mandatory incarceration if found guilty. And the corporations would be told, I know technically we have campaign contributions, but no. You cross that line and we're gonna instruct DOJ to go after you to the fullest extent of the law. And then I'd go straight to the people. I would do an FDR, fireside chat, whatever you want to call it, and explain to people that this doesn't have to be this way. You're not helpless. You actually, why do you think the powers that be are so anti-collectivist anything? You know, we push this idea, and I know I'm, I'm kind of meandering a little bit now, but bear with me. We push this idea of rugged individualism. Now think about how stupid that is. The rich, they have more money than God are at this point. They do. And they can buy all the police and paramilitary they want. The one thing they don't have, and they are fearful, dreadfully fearful of, is that we outnumber them. 
And if we ever just drop these petty arguments, and if we work together to demand the truth and demand some positive progress, we could put them in their place. If we could work together and have a series of national strikes and shut it down, shut the country down with the exception of emergency um, emergency provisions such as medical, fire, things like that, and we help each other, but anybody of wealth, you don't help. You help your neighbor, and we just all stick together. This nonsense would end. It just would. But see, the very rich, through their paid, bought and paid for public relations whores and their political whores, they've convinced us, especially the American public, that we are not able to unshackle our chains. And that's not true. I'm not talking violence. I'm talking civil disobedience where no work gets done except for emergency services, emergency medical and fire. Nothing else happens. And if your neighbor needs a few extra supplies, then you help them out. We could bring the 1% to their knees and it would be peaceable. And then we could push through what we need, which is a right to recall any elected official, and strong laws against corruption, public finance of elections, no more campaign contributions, no more legalized bribery. See, this all ties together. We talk about environmental issues on this show, but the fact is all of this ties together. And the reason the 1% have gotten away with virtual murder of the planet is because of the entrenched corruption. And it was planned. This was premeditated, beginning with something called the Powell Report, which we'll talk about on another show. Because the rich are the problem. They just are. They want to own us, body and soul, pure and simple. They wanted to destroy the great middle class, and they did. They want to own us. Now in the middle of a deadly pandemic, they're demanding people return to work in unsafe working conditions where they could lose their lives. You have politicians like Ron DeSantis, who is fighting any mass mandates in school so that even if the kids don't die from COVID, they'll bring it home to their parents. I don't know. Is, are they ready for a nation of orphans? Is that what their aim is? I don't know. But I know that all these problems, all these issues t- come back to the insanity of the 1% and their addiction to power and wealth. And you can't reason with an addict. Forget about the opiate cri- addiction crisis. No. Money and power are the most dangerous opioid of all. And the 1% are absolutely insane with it. And we can, the, our two-party process here in the United States is nonsense, and everybody knows it. But we have to stick together. Collectivism works. We will, none of us will ever have enough money 
to match the one percenters. And we don't need to. We just need to stick together. It's really that simple. And help each other. And we could have all the things we need to. We could have Medicare for all. We could actually try and save what's left of this planet for future generations. We could have a living wage. We could have safe schools. We could have public funding of public universities and trade schools. We could have public funding of elections. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have to make the rich pay their fair share in taxes. Period. They've been evading their taxes long enough. There is something very wrong when a clerical worker pays proportionately more in taxes than Donald Trump did. Just is. Now, we're almost at that 15-minute mark. I'm going to wait for a few minutes and see if there's any callers. And if there isn't, I'll give you a few more thoughts, and then we'll end this. So this is the first time I've allowed this, and we'll see if anybody has the guts to call. And if there's any right-wingers, Trumpers, come on. I'm not afraid of you because I know I'm smarter than you for one. Of course, the product that comes out of my dog's ass is smarter than most of you. But go ahead. We'll wait. This might be fun. In the meanwhile, while I'm waiting for any calls, I want people to understand, too, that we're going to be talking more about this on the show. All these issues tie together. They just do. And we're going to be focusing on the fact that we have rights to breathe clean air and drink clean water. And the rich do not own us. But again, you have to be willing to stand your ground as the saying goes. But again, civil disobedience, nonviolent. So just want to make sure people understand that. There are a few politicians that think I'm just a little too scary. I don't see anybody calling yet. So while we're waiting, we're going to be talking about the fact that we are in the middle of this COVID pandemic. And I'm, be, I'm meandering a little bit. Bear with me. But how many other viral pandemics are going to come, for instance, as glacier ice melts with organisms that we've never been exposed to. Seriously. This is something we must consider. And, you know, when you bring up all the evidence to just average people on the streets, you know, people in my own neighborhood, nice people, and you say, well, yeah, there's a problem. That's true. I say, well, you know, we're going to have to change our ways, including probably going to mass transit and giving up individual cars for the most part. And the response I receive is, oh, that'll never happen. And they laugh it off. This isn't a laughing matter. This is the people in power not only destroying the planet 
are enabling the continued destruction of the planet, but a lot of other people abdicating their sense of responsibility to future generations. I don't blame the kids of Extinction Rebellion for being enraged. They have every right to be. In fact, I'm hoping that I can get a few of them on the show because they're right. They're just plain right. I'm going to wait a few more minutes, and then I'm going to end this. So because just sitting here waiting is frankly kind of boring. <coughs> but that's what we're having here now. This is um, this is only going to get worse, and it doesn't have to be this way. Well, it doesn't look like we have any callers, so I'm just going to end you with this thought, okay? As Scott Tully said, we have this, quote, unwholesome marriage of corporate-friendly politics and meek politicians, end quote. It's time to end that. Not only going after fossil fuel and the big banks that fund it, including the private banks, which again, the, the corporate banks, private banks, they're just gamblers. We need to hold politicians accountable, every single one of them, Democrat and Republican alike. And we can't continue to allow them to hide behind, for instance, a congressional um, parliamentarian. That's nonsense. We can't allow the corporate media <laughs> to control the airwaves as they keep painting these lies of false equivalence. You know, primary example, the Biden administration is pushing this, this scam known as blue hydrogen. Blue hydrogen will release more carbon and it will release big uh, amounts of methane and other powerful greenhouse gas. It is a scam, and blue hydrogen was concocted by the fossil fuel industry. The only hydrogen technology that could be useful is green hydrogen because it uses renewables. So President Biden, I don't know if you're listening or not, but I'm speaking directly to you. To borrow a phrase, cut the crap. You know this is wrong. Have the cojones to stand up to these corporate thugs. Seriously. It's that simple. In the meanwhile, God bless Extinction Rebellion. God bless Greta Thunberg and all these other young people, full of old, oldsters like myself, that are fighting the good fight to try and save the planet for future generations. They are the true heroes. With that, I say, since there's no callers, good night. And God bless until next week.